Hello and welcome to Sticky from the Inside, the employee engagement podcast that looks at how to build stickier, competition-smashing, consistently successful organisations from the inside out. I'm your host, Andy Gorham, and I'm on a mission to help more businesses turn the lights on behind the eyes of their employees, light the fires within them, and create tons more success for everyone. This podcast is for all those who believe that's something worth going after and would like a little help and guidance in achieving that. Each episode, we dive into the topics that can help create what I call stickier businesses, the sort of businesses where people thrive and love to work and where more customers stay with you and recommend you to others because they love what you do and why you do it. So if you want to take the tricky out of being sticky, listen on. Okay, so one of the keys to a thriving workplace is that the people in it feel that they're learning and growing as employees and individuals. Progression and development for all your people, and especially your top talent, plays an important role in getting people to operate at their very best and your ability to retain them. But does our usual approach to talent management help businesses achieve that easily, or is there a better way? Well, My guest today is Dr. Maggie Evans. Maggie is an experienced business psychologist, consultant, friend, and author of the book, From Talent Management to Talent Liberation. And in today's episode, she's going to share her thoughts on how to really promote and sustain a workplace culture that absolutely delivers growth, retention, engagement, and liberation of your talent, and helps create a workplace culture in which people can thrive. So, enough waffle for me. Let's introduce Maggie and get under the skin of how you can create talent magic. Good morning, Maggie. Hey, Andy. How are you doing? I'm good, mate. Thank you. Very nice to see you. And you. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Oh, it's very exciting. Delighted to be your guest, Andy. Well, I've known you for so long now. You've played such a large role in me being who I am today. And we don't have time to get into all of that thank goodness but could you just give us a little bit of uh, background to to you where what you do and what you're up to at the moment so the first thing to say Andy is that I'm passionate about liberating talent and that's the bit that's really sort of brought my career together I think and I do that with organizations looking as you say at the talent culture to make it one where everyone can thrive and also help teams to operate as a high performing unit together and help individuals to liberate their talent and it's all about developing practical solutions things that will really make a difference bringing in some research but helping organisations and individuals to to create change so they can all thrive. Oh, look, if I know anything about you, Maggie, it is that you keep it real. You always bring things to life and try and make it as practically deliverable as possible. I, I know that. And I guess that's where the book came from, right? Trying to sort of help people take practical steps towards delivering this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a real gap between the theory and the practice. And so I'm really keen to bridge that gap to have some theory, but have it hold it quite lightly so that people don't need to get into the theory to see how they can use some evidence to make a difference and make things better. So I'm glad that you find it sort of practical and real because certainly that's that's the intention. Yeah, look, I can't really deal anything else. I talk a lot of theory, but I do like the practice. I do like to have things uh, demonstrable and deliverable. I think that's what people really look for today. If you can do that, 
I think it makes it easier for people to sort of deliver stuff. Having said all that, what you're really talking about almost in your book sounds a bit like talent alchemy, like essence of magic, because whenever I have talked to people about talent and what have you, and especially think about what's going on in the world today, there's this big message that, well, talent is scarce. There's not a lot of it about. So you've got to grip and hold on tightly to what you've got. Now, you don't see it that way, do you? I don't. And I wish now hearing you talk about that, that I'd chosen magic as the title rather than liberation. So I think talent magic is brilliant. And I think it is, there's a real frustration. And that's what led me to write the book, really, with the way that talent management is practiced in organisations, the way we frame it, as you say, that there's a scarcity of talent. I see so many hugely talented people every day. And in organisations, they're full of people with lots and lots of talent. Where the gap is, is that the organisations aren't very good at tapping into that. Mm. So lots of it goes to waste. And that's criminal. We really need to help individuals tap into more of their potential and help organisations tap into it too. And then we all win. So is there something fundamentally wrong with the um, traditional approach to this stuff that starts on that premise that it is scarce? Or is it the way that it's handled that makes it appear scarce? What, what, what do you think? I think there's lots of things that feed into it. So there is a very sort of well-publicized book about the war for talent. And that whole metaphor has started to frame the way we do things and the way we think about everything. And so gradually over time, I think people and particularly people in HR have been kind of driven into this mindset. There's a war for talent and a focus on the people who are the high potentials and also real focus on following set processes. So to do talent right, you have to have lots and lots of beautiful presentations. You have to put people in boxes according to a nine box grid, whether they're high performance, high potential or not. And there's lots of sort of rules around how you use it. And one HR director gave me a brilliant quote, said, we've got so wrapped up in the process We've forgotten the purpose. And so my mission is really to reignite that. Why are we doing it? In organisations, if you're not doing something that's going to manage risk or drive competitive advantage, why are you doing it? And a lot of talent management has kind of got wrapped up in that. We do it because we've been told it's the right thing to do. And people have lost sight of what organisations really need in terms of talent. And that's really where talent liberation comes in to reset that frame to say, look, there's a different way of looking at this. And that will help us to liberate talent instead of trying to manage and control it and put it in boxes. Amazing. Well, there's two trigger words for me in all of that. Firstly, purpose. Yes, we love to talk about purpose on this podcast, but we're looking at it in a slightly different context today, which is fab. And the second one is HR. And I will annoy people in HR with my uneducated perspective on this stuff, no doubt. But at the moment, I almost feel like HR can come across like a bit of a lost department with lots of other departments kind of moving on and, and changing the way they're looking at things and embracing new things. Sometimes it feels to me like HR is sort of lost in a little bit of limbo. That's so why I'm really interested to hear your view on this talent magic, talent liberation, and what what can be done now in you, in your book i think you talk about sort of four key areas around bringing talent liberation to life and it starts with having a look at what hr are doing so what is it that that good hr people and departments can do to liberate more talent going forwards yeah i think it's really interesting i think I come across loads of brilliant HR people. Yeah. And I also come across people in HR who are hugely frustrated, who see the potential of what they do 
and can offer the organisation, but feel kind of a bit trapped by all of the expectations. And a bit like uh, project management went through a huge shift from going through the traditional project management to the much more agile approaches. Uh, finance has gone through a big shift and lots of other organ- parts of organisations gone through a shift. And I think HR is now absolutely ripe to create a similar shift in what they actually do. And I think the organisations that I work in where HR is really working well, they're very strategic. They look at an organ- the organisation, they say they recognise it's not just one map for the future, but there's lots of different scenarios. Mm. And, you know, blimey, if the last 18 months has taught us anything is that we can't predict the future. And so the smart HR people are very good at actually understanding that and saying, well, we need what they need to do is prepare the workforce for lots of different possible futures. So therefore, the way they approach their work is not just following a plan, but it's actually emergent and it's responsive. And they're actually getting real time data on what the organisation needs and helping them in the short term and helping them plan for the long term. The other thing that the smart organisations are doing in HR is not just focusing on the high potentials. If you think how many people are in most organisations, the high potentials maybe represent 10, 15, 20 percent, depending on where they put the, the benchmark. But actually, if you could shift the performance of everybody else, so the 80 percent and shift their performance up, that unlocks far, far more benefit for the organisation than the high potentials who might be nicked by your competitors anyway. So the smart HR people are not just focusing their talent strategy on the high potentials. They're looking at a much more inclusive approach. They're recognising it's not just about those individual heroes coming along. It's about how teams operate. It's about actually having access to a wide range of people, whether they're employed by the organisation, whether they're contractors or not. So it's sometimes called the talent ecosystem. So having that wide range of people that they look at instead of just the high potentials. And by having that, they can be more emergent and responsive. It's also, and I know we'll talk about this later because culture is massive. It's the smart HR people are not just focusing on ticking boxes. They're not just focused on formal processes and, oh, it's this time of year. This is the rhythm. This is the cadence. This is what we need to do. They're actually much more talking about creating a culture of thriving and learning. And the other thing, which also links into culture, so we can talk about it later, is about the not just the organization's needs. Talent management has all been about what the organization needs. But Andy, you know more than anyone that actually to be sticky as an organization, you've got to actually meet the needs of the individual so they can thrive. So it needs to be personalized and it needs to be flexible. And there's big moves towards that, I think, as a result of COVID of having much more flexibility. And the smart HR functions are really harnessing that to say, yes, we need to actually have really different contracts. We need to be open to finding out how we can get the best from people. So it's emergent and responsive. It's inclusive, collaborative. It's about thriving and learning and personalised and flexible. So that's a big shift for HR mindset. And that's where they can unlock the magic. Oh, I get that. That's that's really interesting, especially on that process stuff. And I think this is where my clumsy way of saying that HR feels a, li- a little lost to me is that this almost conflict between the individual personal tailoring, if you like, and the established, well-known process and procedure has mm. not necessarily found itself working together very, very well. 
if the workforce needs are kind of changing and the environment is changing, then the the processes and procedures that back it up and make it make it work need, need to change. And I think this is, for me at least, where I'm really interested in that summary you just you talk about emergent, responsive, personalized, and not just about the guys who stand out. Because how how do you know? I mean, there could be people in there who have yet to uncover talents because they've never been put in a situation where that a latent talent can can show itself or, or or develop so putting people in situations where there's opportunities to do that is surely an opportunity for the business as a whole not just the individual yeah ab- absolutely and i think it's really telling a lot of the processes that organizations follow for talent management were developed back in the 1950s at a time when the future was more predictable when i started work I was working in an engineering company. You knew how many apprentices you needed coming in at the start because you knew how many were going out at the end. In that situation, then maybe there's a, you know, there can be a benefit in focusing on your high potentials because your organization is predictable, it's stable. But right now, we don't know what talented people we're going to need for the future. We need to have a huge amount of diversity there. So depending on which direction the organisation goes in, how the economy evolves, how technology evolves, we've got people that are agile and ready and able to help fill those gaps. So people who are high potential in one scenario may not be high potential in another scenario. So it's not a label that the individual carries with you with them. It's very context specific. And therefore, we need to have very different approaches so that we we are flexible to meet a, a very different environment. Yeah, great. I totally agree with that. And and then as you just led on to, so if that's if that's HR. What about the role of the manager then, the the line manager in in producing talent or you know performing alchemy uh, with talent? What, what what's their what's their role? The, the brilliant thing is, even if the organisational context isn't as you want it, even if your HR function haven't really grabbed hold of this change of mindset uh, to talent liberation instead of talent management. Line managers are in a phenomenal position. They can, and they do, lots of line managers are brilliant at this, they can liberate talent in their teams. So the context might not be what you want, but you can create your own microclimate. You as a leader can absolutely help individuals develop develop their talent. And I've borrowed some language in, in the book, I write about it and in sessions that I run with people, about five habits of leaders as liberators. And clearly oh, cool. I borrowed from Stephen, Co- Stephen Covey with his... Uh, um, habits of highly effective people, but he has why, a, why change something that works? He has done a little bit of work in this area, Maggie. It's okay. Yeah, sure. Yes, yes. So I, I, I pinch, pinch some of his, his habits. And this is based on a lot of the research that I've done about what is it, why is it that some managers are a catalyst for people's development? Why is it that some managers absolutely bring out the best in people and others people just sort of stutter on by they just kind of cope they survive they do their job but there's nothing there's no magic there's no alchemy so I've identified sort of these five things so if I go through them there's the know your team Mm. catalyst for growth feed back and feed forward look to the future and work in partnership and they're actually really simple things that a leader can do every single day so I don't know if you want to go through all of them, Andy, or you'd like to well, yeah, I do mean, a pick, pick and mix, which is your preference. i tell you what's really interesting. When I talk about things like purpose and uh, listen to guys like Zach Mercurio on mattering and what have you, you know, the whole knowing your people, making them feel significant or what have you, is, is really important. But I think in the context here, we're talking about a deeper understanding 
of your people. So perhaps but let's let's just dive into that for a little bit because I I think this is about knowing your people when they're at their best or knowing your people when they're at their worst and what that looks mm. like. Am, am I right in that? Or Yeah, absolutely. It's, and it takes time. You need to take time to think about it. So often I think as leaders, it's very easy to take your team a bit for granted, but this is kind of getting under the skin. Um, and in the same way, you might think about your product strategy or you might think about your customer. This is getting under the skin of what is it that really drives and motivates this person? What is their potential? And there are sort of four prompts that I suggest people people use. And you know, really simple, practical, as we said at the beginning. You know, what's this person like at their best? What are they doing? What impact are they having? What are the triggers for them being at their best? And how much of the time are they spending at their best? What are they like at their worst? And again, what are they doing? What's the impact? What's mm. the triggers? How often? And then a really interesting question, what needs to happen or what needs to change for them to spend more time at their best? Because that's your opportunity. That helps you understand how they can actually maximise performance and thrive more in their current role. And what could they do more of in the future? Mm. And you as a leader will have insight into this, but you're only really going to have half the story. So you need to engage in this conversation with the individual to ask them what they feel like they're like at their best and help them develop that self-awareness and self-insight to understand about their impact and their triggers. You need to understand what really motivates them, what they want to do in the future. It's all about a real relationship, about having time together, about listening, about genuinely wanting to understand. We can all listen if we want to. So it's about going into those meetings and saying, I really, in the same way, I want deep insight about my customer. I want deep insight about my people. So it's then actually looking and understanding that person. And rather than making assumptions and maybe having biases about that person, it's actually spending time thinking about it and looking at what they want, what you see, collecting data, collecting evidence, having conversations. So you really do know them and they know themselves. I totally get that. That sort of authentic conversation is is really important and i guess that also leads into that area that you mentioned about feedback and feed forward and i know you mm. sort of re- i think you referenced a bit of kim scott in there yes <laughs> you just kind of dig into that for us for a little bit people really struggle with giving feedback and i really like the things the radical candor approach about challenge directly care deeply and some simple models that people can use to help them to give feedback more effectively so what's the example what effect did it have what do you suggest the person changes when it comes to the kim scott stuff and the radical candor i i get the premise i struggle mm. with the i struggle with the radical because the radical okay. films like like not me it feels feels mm. aggressive and i whenever i talk to people about feedback as a manager you know you owe it to people to not walk on by and i know as a dion warwick myself in the past i have walked <laughs> on by this stuff and i've regretted it maybe not immediately but certainly in the medium term because i've let something slide right but the point for me behind the kim scott radical candor stuff is that you are picking up on the good stuff and the bad stuff, because it's coming from a good place, because you, actually you want that person to be the best that they can be. And you owe it to them to feedback when things have gone less well. 
as well as it is important to feedback on the things that they're doing brilliantly. So yeah, I, I tend to sort of like frame it as, you know, compassionate candor because it just reminds me that it's coming from a good place as opposed to the, the radical, which feels mm. like uh, to me overly aggressive, but that's just my personality. Yeah. It is. And I think you've got to find your own voice and giving giving that sort of feedback. And what matters is that the message doesn't get diluted down because there's nothing worse than somebody having a blind spot and keeping on going in with the same approach and nobody's told them. And it's just not kind. As you say, it's not compassionate. No. And I think the bit that you're absolutely bang on about is the clarity. You know, let's not mm. have any misinterpretation opportunity here. Let's make it really, really, really clear. Um, but you can do that in great language and you can do it with compassion, but let's not cloud the issue. Let's make it very, very, very clear because then people have something tangible to hold on to and think about, right. And hopefully take action on. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's the, that's the sort of feedback piece. And for me, the feed forward piece is about looking to the future. So it's about maybe that suggestion to say next time alongside having a plan for the meeting, it would be good to get other people's input into what they would like to get from the meeting and to be responsive to their needs or whatever it might be. So that's the sort of the feed forward about the change. And I think for me, one of the other things about feedback is recognising there are kind of two types. Mm. There's a type that's in the moment and it's quick and it might be you know, coming out of a meeting and talking about what went well, what didn't go so well, what would go differently next time. And then there's also the much more planned reflective feedback that may be pulling together some themes that have emerged over a period of time. And I think as a leader, you've got a responsibility to your team to give them both types. So the type that's immediate and the type that is pulling together what I've noticed over this, how you're managing your stakeholders as a theme, for example, rather than how you managed that particular individual in that meeting. Mm. So I like to think of it as that sort of in the moment and more planned and you mentioned the individual there. So, so far, we've talked about the HR department and their responsibility, the uh, line manager and that person's kind of uh, responsibility and duties with regards to talent liberation. But but there's stuff that we can do ourselves as well, right? So where do we fit into the picture? Yeah, absolutely. We've got, there's loads that we can do to help liberate our own talent. And again, like I said about the leaders, you know, if the environment isn't right for them, they can still do something themselves with their teams. And for you as an individual, if you're not actually got the right leader, then you can still do stuff. And one of the first things you can do is think about how you can learn every day. So what is it you can do on projects to keep learning? What can you learn in team meetings? What can you offer? What can you do through some coaching? What new responsibilities can you have take on board? So I think there's sort of, for me, Liberating your talent, learning is at the absolute core of it. And I think there's a lot about recognising that we're talented in different ways. So it's finding out more about yourself. What is my talent? What is it that really drives me? What is it that makes me thrive? And there's a, a diagram that you may remember from the book about um, thriving at work. Mm. And when we thrive at work, it's because we're engaged we're fulfilled, we're productive, we're resilient, and we've got learning as well. So it's that sort of combination of learning and also being engaged. But there might be times in our career when we say, actually, do you know what? I've got other stuff going on in my life. Right now, thriving isn't where I need to be. 
So I might need to be maintaining because I don't need lots of stretch. Yes, I want to be engaged, but I've got other things that I'm focusing on. So if I think back to my own career, you know, classic example, when the kids were young, actually, I didn't want to push myself as much. And that's more of a sort of conscious decision to be maintaining. There might be times when you're trading, you know, there's loads and loads of learning going on, but you're not engaged because actually you're getting your trading, you're sort of you're trading for the future. So you might be going through exams or mm. you know, training as an accountant, training as a doctor or, or whatever. So you might do some of those things. And sometimes when you're say younger, my first job was on a pig farm. Did you know that, Andy? Well, no, I didn't uh, know that. That was, very, that was very much transacting. I went in, I mucked out the pigs, I got my money, that was it. Mm. So I wasn't expecting to thrive in that workplace. So I think part of it is thinking about what you want from job, your work. Where does it fit into your life right now? Do you want to be thriving or is there something else going on? Then you can start thinking about what you want from your career. Where's your career come from? Where do you want it to go? But you need to spend some time thinking about it. And there's books out there that can help you to develop what's called sort of employability. There's a, a, a friend and colleague of mine, Philippa Dengler, who's written some great stuff about employee agility and how you can actually develop that for yourself. Um, to make sure that your resilient career, your career is resilient and you're ready for whatever scenario your business or other businesses go through. So I think thinking about yourself, thinking about what you want from your career, and I sometimes call it the career incident room, collecting lots of evidence and information, asking yourself questions. So you just know yourself better. Mm. And then you can start thinking about what are the themes about my career so far and where do I want to go next? I think that's very interesting. I mean, two things spring to mind, and the pig farm's a great example because not everybody wants to climb a ladder of, of for a career, right? They don't. Um, and so what we're saying is we're not saying to everybody, you must do this. But I think for people who are looking to grow and develop, these are some good steps. These are some good pieces of advice to kind of take on board. And what's surprising is how little time people have taken or are afforded to do that inward reflection I'm, I'm working with some some fabulous people at the moment on on a sort of emerging leadership course and the, the first module has been all about uh, getting to understand yourself and mm. it's been revelatory for people to be able to spend a considerable amount of time being self-indulgent enough in, in a good way to think about themselves and try and understand a bit more about themselves and their motivations and the sort of leader that they would like to be. And it's been amazing to be on the other side of the mirror, if you were watching mm. people kind of make the journey of, well, I'm not very comfortable sitting here thinking and talking about myself, to almost seeing the penny drop in front of them when they realize some bigger insight about themselves that they never quite had put their mm. finger on before, and then what that spurs them on to do. And and to me, that, that's how I relate what you talk about here, taking responsibility for your career at the time with it's right. And it does start with that authentic look at yourself. You know, don't, mm. no, don't, don't, don't come up with some weird theory that you think others are going to want to hear. Be true to yourself because at the end of the day, it's only going to benefit you if it's authentic. So on that topic of reflection, I don't know whether you still remember, Maggie, but I said at the start of this podcast that you've played a large role in helping shape my own career really when you were facilitating the leadership course that, that I was on and you ran a visualization exercise 
where we, we all had to draw two things. One picture of where we thought we were as leaders today and one picture of where we wanted to be in the future as leaders. And, and I still remember that picture. It's an incredibly powerful image that I will never forget. And it's not because I'm an expert artist. <laughs> Far from it. <laughs> this, is a, this is a daft, narcissistic question. But do you remember my picture? <laughs> I I, it's interesting. I don't remember the actual picture. I remember the words mm. and the emotion. So I remember the image uh, of you describing the image to me and it being very, very powerful. So I, I've done that exercise with lots of people and some people connect. And I think you could really see that you'd connected with your image on a very deep level. And when you do that and you create that sense of that possible future, it's phenomenal at driving your behaviour. To, to work towards it because your brain sees that you can achieve that and you really connect with that's where you want to go. So you start taking small actions to help lead yourself towards that. And it's it's amazing and it's wonderful that it has had such an influence. So I've got various pictures from my life that when I've done that activity that have absolutely shaped the direction I've gone in next. Yeah, I, look, I'll never forget it. And I I thank you for the exercise. And I guess I try and pay it forward now by doing it with mm. other people. And you can see in their eyes when it's worked, for sure. Mm. And I would like to think in maybe in 15, 20 years' time, they've got the same recall or it's had the same effect on their career as the exercise that you did for me has had. So thank you for that. You're very welcome. I would encourage everybody, no matter how awkward it feels, to take some time for that inward reflection because it can seriously unlock some stuff really can yeah and and it so when you've done that you can identify some other options you might feel really fed up in your job but actually by doing that reflection you might identify there are ways to do what's called job crafting so to actually adapt your role to do more of the things that you enjoy and make sure you're doing things you love every day uh, there might be ways of actually engaging your line manager in your longer term sort of work plan and I think you're absolutely right to say not everyone wants to climb a ladder I sometimes refer to career as a laboratory mm. because in the same way we spoke about the mindset for HR needing to shift I think sometimes our own mindset about our work needs to shift and if you think about it as a laboratory your job is a series of experiments you're learning new things you're collecting new knowledge and then that will help you go on to another experiment it may not all be progressing upwards but it probably has some sort of theme. So as I said at the beginning, my theme of my career is probably about liberating talent. And if you can find that theme by that self-reflection, you can go and do some brilliant experiments and add to your knowledge base and add to where your understanding of where you might want to conduct some, some further experiments. And I think that's quite a powerful way of thinking about it. Oh, absolutely. Love that. Love the laboratory idea. That's going to sit with me for a long time now. So uh, <laughs> I can just picture... Bunsen burners and various other bits and pieces, <laughs> liquids bubbling away in my brain. Uh, look, so this is all great stuff, and it has, I'm sure, huge benefit to individual, to teams, and to organisations. Organizations, and you mentioned the culture effect before. So I'm guessing the the culture impact is kind of our fourth fourth piece that we we want to bring forward mm. today. So where where do you see the whole culture piece fitting into that jigsaw? I think. The, you know, we all make up the culture. So yeah. as an individual, you can influence the culture. As a leader, you can influence the culture. As the HR, you can influence the culture. And I think the culture 
create thinking about the culture that you can create that helps everybody to liberate talent is really important and can have much more impact than thinking about the formal processes. So a culture that where people's talent is more likely to be liberated is one where all people are valued. So everyone's contribution is recognised and valued. And there's a sense of partnership between what the organisation wants and what the individual wants. And that sweet spot is the way of releasing that, that magic. A culture that liberates more talent is one where there's a real focus on learning, a recognition we can't predict the future. And therefore, we need to keep on experimenting. We need to keep learning and that that becomes really, really valued and celebrated. So, as you know, think you can do things in, to encourage that, to reward, recognise and celebrate the behaviours you want. So thing, practical things, to come back to that, that organisations can do is celebrate leaders who are brilliant at liberating talent in their team. Celebrate individuals who do sideways moves in order to learn more. Celebrate individuals who actually do more learning, who engage in learning and who think about the future. Celebrate the HR people who have challenging conversations with, their, with the other leaders in the business about what future scenarios they might need to prepare for, how they can broaden the talent ecosystem. And actually all of those things create an environment where people are more likely to have their talent liberated and educating and helping and supporting individuals to do that reflection that you just mentioned, to have that time, that space to understand themselves so they can take accountability and can really drive things forward for themselves and take on their responsibility alongside the organisation taking on what they can do. So I think it's about a shared purpose to come back to the purpose comment of everybody recognising that for this organisation to thrive, it needs to be constantly learning. It needs to be constantly evolving. And I love I've just been reading the Simon Sinek book about um, the, the infinite game. Hmm. And the infinite game is about it's not just about an end goal and winning. You know, how do you win at being the best at customer service, what's the measure? It's actually about staying in the game. And it's about creating a culture where everybody says, in order to continue to thrive, we need to be focusing on learning, on valuing people, on diversity, on teams, on collaboration. And those are the things that actually make an organisation really successful. Oh, well, look, 100% on that. And I think the benefits of having a culture like that are, are well documented, not just on the, I guess, the feeling that, that people have, the, mm. the talent, the actually the financial benefits, both positive, you know, in terms of growing revenues and what have you and getting more productivity from, from, from the business, but also on the other side of the coin of, you know, lower recruitment costs <laughs> for, mm. for one, right? All those good things that all help the bottom line. I mean, we've, we've talked about clarity. We've caught, talked about direction. We've talked about equipping line managers and we've talked about the sort of behaviors and, and in, uh, organizational integrity, if you like, behind those great cultures that we would all like to be part of again as we as we go forward so that's fantastic as always i'm now looking at my timer behind this <laughs> podcast megan i'm going blimey i'm running out of time so look this is the part of my show where we try and summarize practically all the myriad things that we have talked about on some little colored sticky notes okay and so if you were to leave behind three sticky notes that would help people begin their laboratory of liberation of talent, what three pieces of advice would you leave behind? 
Great question. And I love the sticky notes. Uh, first one would be don't follow the crowd. And that's because just because everyone else is doing something doesn't make it the right thing to do. Uh, so focus on the actions that add value. Lovely. Uh, next one, everyday learning. Okay. So there's lots and lots of everyday activities to learn, whether you're a leader helping your team or you're an individual. Keep learning every day. It doesn't need to be expensive, increases engagement, retention, performance, and builds learning agility. And a question that comes from Aaron Dignan's book, Brave New Work. Brilliant question. Ask your people what stops them doing the best work of their lives? Oh, good. Good question. That's a good question, isn't it? And then Obviously, don't just listen to the answer, but do something about it to help more more of your team get to their personal best. You will unlock so much talent by doing that. Amazing. Three lovely, uh, simple sticky notes that people can take away and do something with. Maggie, we haven't had nearly enough time to scratch the surface of liberating talent, but I think we've left people with enough to think about for now. Thank you so much for your time. Really, really enjoyed our conversation and can't wait to see you again very shortly you take care yeah you too andy thanks very much take care okay that was dr maggie evans and if you'd like to find out more about some of the things we've talked about here including maggie's book then please check out all the details in the show notes so that concludes today's episode i hope you've enjoyed it found it interesting and heard something maybe that will help you become a stickier, more successful business from the inside going forward. If you have, please like, comment and subscribe. It really helps. I'm Andy Gorham, and you've been listening to the Sticky from the Inside podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening.